Footballers' Lives with Richard Lenton is brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group. Hello and welcome to a slightly different episode of Footballers Lives. Back in 2015, I'd just started working for a TV network called Eleven Sports in Singapore, who were owned by the current Leeds United chairman, Andrea Radrizani. Now, as part of our channel launch in August of that year, we brought Emmanuel Petit over from France for a few days to do some promotional work and also to make some television appearances. And also during that time, I sat down with him for an hour to talk about his life and career for a programme that should have featured on the channel, but for some reason never saw the light of day. Now, old habits die hard, old journalistic habits, that is. And for whatever reason, I also recorded that interview on an old dictaphone, a dictaphone that I thought I'd lost until it suddenly turned up last week in the pocket of an old suitcase that I was in the middle of throwing out. I had a listen, the sound quality is great, and even though it's not the normal podcast style, I think it's a really interesting piece. There are times, by the way, when the questions maybe don't necessarily follow in an order that you'd expect in an interview of this nature, but this is because I had to ask certain questions to fit certain narratives and sound bites that we were going to use as part of our content moving forward. So if you're not familiar with the inner workings of television and television recording, then this might offer some insights. Now, there's also some really emotional material in here where Emmanuel breaks down talking about the tragic death of his brother Olivia back in 1988. But here it is, Footballers' Lives with Emmanuel Petit, finally. How do you like Singapore? So far, so good. Uh, it's the first time for me here, and uh, to be honest with you, I've been, been very impressed since uh, I arrived at the airport. The city, uh, the country is very modern. People are very uh, welcoming, very kind, and um, very happy to be here. And we've heard a rumor that you're thinking about moving to Asia. Yes, it's not a rumor. Uh, it's been, uh, I've been think thinking about that with my family since uh, two or three years now. Uh, for the last five years, I've been spending uh, all my holidays here in Asia, especially in Thailand. And I went to Malaysia as well a couple of months ago, just to, for work as well, and uh, I really, really appreciate that. I feel very close in terms of spirituality and uh, mentality, and, um, and that's why uh, we all want, my family, my family and I want to move here, but I don't know when and uh, as soon as possible, I hope. So you can move to Thailand, live on the beach, you could even grow your hair. <laughs> no, I think it's gonna be a good opportunity as well for my kids, for my daughters, and uh, to, um, to know a different culture, different, uh, uh, because in Europe I think uh, we are becoming too uh, small-minded. And that's why I think um, I need them to, uh, to go and see the world, how it is actually uh, in reality. And uh, I want them to learn different cultures, different languages. I want them to, be, to have the chance that I had when I, I was young, travel all around the world and meet different people. When you were a young child back in Dieppe, yes. could you have believed you'd come so far? No, really not. That was a, that was a dream for me. And, uh, I think uh, it's the case for all kids, you know, around the world. We all have dreams, and uh, my dreams was to be a footballer. And uh, my bedroom was full of posters of uh, English prayers, German prayers, and uh, I was dreaming about uh, big, big things: uh, winning the World Cup, uh, winning trophies everywhere, being a stars. But through footballs, and um, 
back in the days, I think uh, we had that dreams and uh, to become a footballers, uh, we didn't dream about getting uh, well paid or getting rich. We just wanted to, uh, to be uh, in front of the, the first page of a newspaper on TV, winning uh, trophies, uh, uh, making our country, our clubs proud, you know. Who were the players that you idolized? Who did you have posters of on your wall? You're gonna laugh. Um, that was uh, Platini, of course, uh, and during my childhood, it was probably, uh, for me, at that time, the French team was probably the best French team uh, we never had in, uh, in, uh, in my country. And uh, we won the World Cup in 1998, but I think they were better than us in terms of playing football. And um, I really like it as well, uh, um, Beckenbauer, uh, Zico, Socrates, uh, English players uh, uh, like the, the guy who died, unfortunately, at Manchester United. I know the guy, number 17, I think, something like that, if I remember well. Was Manchester it, United player? Yes. Uh, back in the days, I, I, was, I wasn't born that day, but uh, he was a rock star. Uh, George Best. Yeah, come on, guy. <laughs> So George Best was one of your heroes, but you didn't yeah, want to follow uh, him in. Yeah, in terms of, uh, he wasn't just a football player, he was, he was a star, you know. The way he was living, his Thai life. And I remember um, once he said something about uh, um, on the way to go to the training, I had to stop because he was at the bar and uh, I couldn't go to the training ground. So, you know, it was a little bit rock and roll. Back in the days, I think we, we had some uh, personality into football that uh, was very, very strong, you know. Do you think that's lacking a little bit in the modern game because maybe it's all about PR and spin? Marketing, things like this. The image now is controlling the world, so everybody is very careful about his image, and uh, that's why I think back in the days, we, were more f we get more freedom about that. Mm. Why did your parents call you Emmanuel? Have you ever asked them? My brothers, um, my oldest brother who died, his name was Olivier, and my second brother, his name is David. If you look very closely about those names, and it's typical of Catholic, you know. It's close to the Bible, things like this, you know. So Emmanuel, uh, my, you know my day, is the 25th, 24th of December, so you, you understand? Yeah. So I, I think my, my family, um, we are very close, you know, about the church and things like this. Did you wish you could change your name after the famous film came out? <laughs> uh, not really, but uh, you know, I like my, my name, Emmanuel. Uh, you can, you can call me Manu, you can, so it doesn't matter for me, I like it. Who was the biggest influence on your football development as a youngster? Who made you believe that it was possible to be a player? I think uh, when I was a child, when I was six or seven years, I, I had a chance to be in a, in a small club, you know, uh, near my home, where, where I really enjoyed playing football because it was like a second family for me and for my brothers. And um, we, uh, we did everything we could, you know, to, uh, to enjoy the football. But we, we went into the club 
to play football, but not only to play football. We went there just to find another family. And I think now, nowadays, um, things have changed a lot. It's not the same anymore. This is why I think the passion I've started from here. When did you know that you were going to be a footballer? From the beginning. I had a choice um, when I was um, 10 years old. I was very talented as well uh, in swimming. And um, I had a choice to, uh, to, to choose between being a, a swimmer or being a footballer. And uh, obviously, uh, it was a nightmare for my family because every time I, I came back from school, uh, usually after my homeworks, I used to go to, into the, the garden and playing against the wall with a, with a tennis ball all the time. And uh, I used to play football with my brother into the house as well. We were breaking furniture, everything, and it was a nightmare for my mother. So, you know, the passion when it's like this, you know that uh, one day you're going to become a footballer. Mm. Can you remember the first time you met Arsene Wenger? Yes, he was, uh, it was uh, in 1985 or 86, something like that, so almost 30 years ago. Yeah. I was uh, learning, I was studying, you know, in, uh, at Monaco. I was a young, uh, young player and I was uh, expecting to join the professional team and um, Everything went so quickly because uh, the first team had so many injured players and uh, Arsene was the manager of the team and uh, there were so many players missing for European Cup and for the championship as well. So that's why he came to um, the academy and he was watching me uh, playing for weeks after weeks. And uh, he came and he picked me up and he said, I think you have the talent to play for the professional team. I think he's, you are very young, but I think you're, you have the personality and the talent to do, it, to do so. So I, I cannot thank him because he gave me the first chance and he, he, he put trust on me. And what was he like, even as a manager back then? Was he completely ahead of his time compared to what you'd seen? Uh, it's not the same. Man was started you know his career as well as a manager and uh, and uh, you know it's not easy when you first start and uh, you need to win trophies as soon as possible you know for the credibility and um, but as soon as the first time we spoke together I knew from the beginning that uh, I, uh, uh, it was a dream for me to be under his management because uh, I know how he is uh, I know his personality I like it I know I treat people all the time, very fairly and uh, with a big humanity. And uh, that's why I think uh, I'm not surprised to see uh, many, many players coming up, you know, from the academy with Arsenal or Monaco, uh, bringing up the players to the first team and uh, being uh, international players. And uh, I'm not surprised about that. Well, talking about internationals, where were you when you found out you'd been selected by France for the first time? That was a shock. I was so scared because it came, everything came so quickly. Arsene came when I was 16, 17 years old. So he asked me to come and train with a professional footballer with players like Clay Hoddle, Mark Hartley, George Weah. Can you imagine me, 16, 17 years old with those guys, you know? I was so shy. 
And so I started to train with them. I started to play a regular team. I never leave the team afterwards. And, and then a year later, Platini came the same way that Arsene came a year before that. He asked me to play for the national team. So I came up into the newspaper, and that was the first problem I had with the newspaper. I just tell the truth, and I said, I don't have the talent to play for the national team. I'm too young. There is better players than me into the French championship. And when I first came to Clairefontaine to join the national team, Platini came to me and he said, listen, I like you very much, but next time you shut up because you put me in trouble. When you say that, you know, you put me in trouble, and the media, the journalists love it. So I said, I don't know. I don't have the experience. You know, this is the first time for me. So uh, I, I apologize. but. In one year, you know, I joined the, the, the first team with Monaco, and then I joined the national team. It was so quick for me. Do you think you stayed at Monaco too long? I spent 14 years in Monaco. I arrived when I was 13, and I left when I was 26, 27. I joined Arsenal, and uh, I had a great time over there, a really great time. I, I won trophy, I won championship, um, French Cup. I played with great players. And it was, for me, it was a second family. Like I said, you know, when I started playing football at six, it was a family for me. But now in modern football, everything changed, and uh, it's not the same anymore. I won't say that it was better in my time, but I think for a person like me with my sensibility, I think uh, I prefer back in the days. Well, you signed off your Monaco career by captaining the team to the title. But how big a decision was it then to move to Arsenal? Did you always want to play yes. in England? Yes, I forced, you know, the, after 14 years, after winning trophies with Monaco, I remember we won the, the title, the championship with Monaco, and uh, we were on live, you know, on TV, celebrating our, our trophy with all the team and the president and the presenter on the French TV asked me, uh, uh, are you happy? I said, yeah, I'm very happy. But I said, on live with uh, Mr. Kampa, who was the president at that time, I said, after 14 years, I think I earned my ticket you know, to leave the club now. Um, I was on my contract two more years. And I said to the president in front of the camera, I expect you to give me you know, the, this ticket to leave because I want to leave. I need to... to, to to leave a new challenge. I wanted to go to, uh, to, um, to England because I wanted to feel the connection with the, the fans and the public. In Monaco, you play always, uh, you know, on the three or four, 5,000 people in the stadium. When I see the passion in England, the communion, you know, the link you can have with the public, I always dream about that. And what were your first impressions of Arsenal and that dressing room that was full of big characters? Full of big characters, crazy people, um, the mentality, the culture is completely different. We were preparing games uh, with rap music, rock music, everything. I cannot, I remember in right jumping, you know, through the bars, you know, into the Highbury uh, dressing room. I could feel as well the wood, you know, the whole wood when you on the seat, you know, with inscrip inscription of players who pass by, you know. It's like history, you know. It's like um, you're, you're, you're part of history, and you can feel, you know, through the edge, you know, into the dressing room, all the people that can. And uh, I remember as well, David Dean, how friendly, how welcome he was. 
and uh, I love my time over there, honestly. And uh, I, I don't say that uh, Emirates Stadium is not good. It's a beautiful stadium, honestly. It's a beautiful stadium. But sometimes it looks like a theater. And when I was playing at Highbury, it was like very close. You could feel the, the crown and the public very close to you. And the passion, you know. There were probably, what, 38,000 people at Emirates Stadium, there are 65. It's almost double than that. But I think we were, we were playing under more passion at Highbury. Was there still a, a drinking culture back then, or had Arsene Wenger <laughs> already stamped it out? <coughs> I remember Arsene having problems with um, some cultures, you know, in terms of food and alcohol. And, uh, you know, in a Latin country, like in France, most of the time players sometimes smoke. I know it's not good, but they don't drink much. In England, it's quite the opposite. When I first came over there, you know, the Christmas party, things like this, or the party you do with the players, you know, to make the, con the connection between ourselves, I was a little bit surprised by the way they drink. So I have to handle it, and uh, it's okay. <laughs> well, there is a phrase, when in Rome, so did you not just join in? What are you saying? Or did you change, did you change to fit in with them? Of course. That's why uh, there is, I think there is some rules when you are footballers. When you change your country, I think it's the same for every one of us. When you change the country and you go to another country, then you need to adapt to the country. It's not the opposite. Mm -hmm. Most of the time people are complaining, uh, I want this, I want this. You shut up. Mm -hmm. You adapt yourself. You change your country and you accept the rules over there. The laws, tradition and everything. I've done this when I went to England. I've done it when I went to Barcelona. I try to le uh, learn as soon as possible the language, the culture, everything, the tradition, everything. Did the old school players embrace Arsene Wenger's philosophy straight away, or did it uh, take time? It take time. Mm. It took time because um, some of food, you know, the beans and sausage, things like this, you know, forget it. <laughs> now it's a cereal, you know, it's healthy food, uh, you know, chocolate bars, things like this, or Coca-Cola, things like this. You cannot do that anymore. And I remember us and screaming, you know, sometimes after some players, uh, asking them, what are you doing? This is not right. If you do that, you won't play. Uh, after 30 minutes, you will feel tired on the pitch. And uh, for many things as well. And uh, I think it brings more professional culture into English traditions. And how enjoyable was that first season at Arsenal? You went and won the beautiful, double, 98. Beautiful. Uh, I couldn't dream for more, you know. Winning the double at Wembley, especially with those, uh, with this team, you know, with, uh, you know, when you look at this team back in the days, with David Simon, with Steve Ball, Martin Keown, the psychopath, Tony Adams, how, you know, the personalities are. He has Nigel Ritterburn, Nigel Winterburn, you see? Or oh, Tintin, Lee Dixon on the right flank, uh, Patrick Vieira, Ray Parler. <laughs> Ray Parler, oh, come on. <laughs> in right. Do you remember the, back in the days, this game um, between Sheffield United on Wednesday? Sheffield United, 
Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday against Arsenal, the fight between Paolo Di Canio and uh, Martin Keown, Martin Keown. Every time he gets pissed off on the pitch, his eyes change. And he was like this, like Spock, you know, Star Trek, you know, he took you like this, you know. He <laughs> did it to uh, Paolo Di Canio and Paul Durkin was the referee. I had great memories, great memories that time, on the pitch and out the pitch. And what are your memories of completing the double, walking out at Wembley and winning the FA Cup at Wembley? We won the, the, the title, you know, the Premier League title, and um, that was, I think, uh, the first step for Arsene, you know, for his credibility into the English, and as well for us, for the French guy. We were living under so much pressure as well, the French players, because we know that Arsene was French like us, and we had to do more, always, more, more, more. But uh, I think uh, all the English players uh, understood that. And uh, they knew from the beginning that we, we will do everything we can to win something. And we would try everything we could as well to make just one into the team, you know. That's why I think uh, winning the FA Cup at Wembley was a dream as well because it's, you know, it's, um, this stadium is like for me, Stade de France, you know, since we won the World Cup, it's special. How intense were those battles with Manchester United in that era? Always big. And I think uh, in this time, you know, this Manchester United team was very, very good. When you look at this team, Smachel from the back, you know, with the Neville, with the, the midfielders, uh, Rocking, scores, scores. Beckham, Giggs, Giggs, oh, come on. When you look at the team, it's unbelievable, you know. I, I can't remember a better team uh, that I was playing against. And um, this is why sometimes uh, it reminds me when I was playing for Barcelona, Alex Ferguson came to see me after a couple of months because in, he knew that time that I was unhappy, you know, over there. And um, he offered me the, the possibility to come and join Manchester United. And um, probably a, a regret for me because uh, I would have loved to, to play with uh, Roy King, you know, with kicks, with scores. But how would that have sat with the Arsenal fans? I think they would have understand. I always respected the Arsenal, Arsenal and the Gunners, you know. And I think every time they saw me, or when I, when I come to the Emirates Stadium, I think they understand. When I left the club, I give three years um, at I, I give everything I could, you know, over there. And I think I left the club in, on a good way, you know. 1998, you won the double, then building up to the World Cup finals on home soil. How yeah. much pressure was there on that France team going into the tournament? You know, in 1997, this, is, this season, 1997, 1998, was the best season of my career. I won the, the championship with Monaco, then I left. To Arsenal, we won the double. Then three weeks later, we won the World Cup with the national team. And then when I come back three three weeks later again, we won the Charity Shield against Manchester United. So, you know, it's impossible to dream a better season. And uh, but playing at home, a World Cup, it's always intense, big pressure. And I remember, you know, the press, they were very bad, very harsh on us. They were saying that we were nuts. We were 
a bad team with poor players, and we show them that uh, they were wrong. And uh, I can understand sometimes the pressure from the press, but uh, I think sometimes they should look at themselves sometimes in the mirror and thinking, am I going too far? But then you sailed through the qualifying group, you scored against Denmark, but yes. then you only just got past Italy. At this stage, were the press with you or were you still with Not still really. Biting? I think the press changed because of the people. People change. After a couple of games, the passion went through the, the whole country. And uh, at the beginning, we were, every time we, we came to the stadium, uh, the reception was good. We, we were, there were probably hundreds of people. But games after games, the passion were intense. And instead of in the press, they were still killing us thinking, yeah, that they're winning, but they're not playing well. Uh, the French people change that. And they show us their love and their passion. And that follows us until the end. And then the press has to change it that way, because they saw that people, OK, they love the national team, so we're going to change our title now. And before the final against Brazil, were you players aware of the situation surrounding Ronaldo? Yes. And what did you we, think? Was we happening? heard some rumors uh, about, you know, video games that he was playing too many, too many. He was spending too many hours in front of TV playing video, video games. But honestly, when you look at that team back in the days, how many great players in this team? You think, okay, Ronaldo. He's going to play. He's not sick. He's not injured. He's going to play. Maybe he's not really mentally, but he's still fit. So he's not the only one as well. There were many, many strong players you know, into, into this team. So that's why I think we heard some rumors, but uh, we didn't uh, make any attention because we are focused on our team, on, our, on ourselves. That's it. Describe the feeling of scoring in a World Cup final. <sighs> you know, I, I can't, I can't do that. It's like probably, I think if I, I can make an example, I'm a father of three daughters. Every time my kids were born, I had the same feeling. Like I am existing, you know this feeling, I live. I feel great. I feel, you know, with full power, you know. And I had this, the same feeling. I scored goals in the World Cup final. There were 80,000 people in the stadium screaming. It's like uh, playing into, the, in, into a airport, you know, with, uh, you know, the plane landing, with this noise, you know, surrounding you. It was nonsense. It's impossible to describe exactly with a word into a dictionary to explain exactly what I felt that time. The only thing I remember is visual. There's nothing, you know, no noise, nothing at all. And um, I only remember I scored this goal. I went into on the left flank of the pitch. Then I went on 
onto my knees, and Patrick came to me straight away. And we were like this. This is the only thing I remember. I've got nothing else. Was that your greatest moment as a footballer? Of course. Of course. I think every player around the world would have dreamed the same things, you know. What did you do that night? We came back to Clairefontaine, and we were, we've been following by hundreds of people, motorcycle, cars. It was unbelievable. And uh, as soon as we arrived at Clairefontaine, people were, it was dark in the middle of the forest. It was, uh, and all of a sudden you see many lights into the trees, and you see people, you know, they were jumping into the trees. They were everywhere, like monkeys. They were everywhere, hundreds. They were full of people. They were in the middle of nowhere. So we went into the Clairefontaine, and um, our family joined us, you know. We make uh, a dinner. We were so happy. But then after the, the dinner, I couldn't sleep. So I went into my bedroom, and I thought to myself, OK, I'm going to watch a movie or something on TV. So I switched on the TV. And they were, you know, we are world champions with people screaming, crying. And you are like this. And it's strange, this feeling, because when you look at the TV, and it happens a few hours before, and you look at the TV and you think, this is not me. This is impossible. I didn't do that. I didn't make people so happy like this. I don't have the the force or the talent to, to do that. And in fact, I, we did it. And uh, when you see, this is very dangerous sometimes, because the love people send you all the time, sometimes it's dangerous. It's too much. You take it like this, and you feel, oh, am I strong enough to handle it, to handle this, this love, this pressure? Sometimes it's scary. Now, when England won the World Cup in 1966, the players were all honoured and they're still revered to this day. Is that still the case with your 1998 World Cup winning team? I think it's difficult to make comparison, you know, between uh, teams and generations. The only thing I hope for this team now, actually, this, this national team, because the Euro 2016 is coming up very soon, we are living uh, in difficult times, actually, in France, for many reasons. And the only message, message I want to send to these players, I know that some players feel a little bit upset about what press can say, what people can say about them. I just want to tell them that if you have the chance to make the French people happy, then that will follow you until the end of your life. This is something that will go far away from the pitch, and that will make your country proud. So this is my only advice. Try everything you can to make people happy. Was the partnership at Arsenal with Patrick Vieira the best of your career? Patrick, uh, Patrick is Patrick. We were together three weeks ago for bad moments for funerals of our, uh, our friends with Arsene Wenger and Robert Pires. Patrick will be always uh, my friend. 
because what we've done on the pitch, but because who, who he is as a human person, you know, human being. I like him for, not for the player he was, I like him for the person he is, that's it. Do you regret moving to Barcelona? I regret uh, to, yeah, honestly, yes, I have to be honest. Barcelona that time and nowadays as well is probably one of the best clubs in the world. It was a dream for me to finish my career in this club. But I was so disappointing that, uh, that time because um, too many politics into the dressing room, too many problems, troubles into the dressing room. You know, it's, alri it's already difficult to win a game on the pitch. So if you have to fight into the dressing room with your own teammates, it's becoming impossible to win something. So there were, you know, the Catalan, the Spanish guys, with the Dutch guys, and the rest of the world. And I was part of the rest of the world. <coughs> and to be fair, I have been very, very frustrated about the way I've been treated over there by this manager, Sarah Ferrer. I had very, very bad uh, moments because of him because of some person. I really appreciate uh, uh, young players like Puyol or Xavi, you know, they were very friendly. They were coming up from the academy. Some English, uh, some, um, some other players, like uh, some Dutch players or even some Spanish players were very kind. Uh, I loved living in Barcelona. I loved playing at New Camp, but uh, some people didn't give me the chance to play in the midfield. And after Barcelona, you could have gone anywhere, really, in England. Why did you choose Chelsea? Because, uh, because of my wife at that time. As I said to you before, um, Alex Ferguson came to see me. And then Arsene Wenger called me as well, asking me if I wanted to come back to Arsenal. And uh, then Claudio Ranier came. He was so nice, so gentle, a gentleman, top class man. And I appreciate what he said. Um, I appreciate uh, what, he what he talked to me. And um, I decided to come back to London and Chelsea. I knew from the beginning that it was probably, I was putting myself under such pressure as well because for some Chelsea fan, I was a gunner. But uh, I think I tried to do my best. I finished my career over there in a bad way, in very bad injuries. They had to cut my leg in two parts. And um, the last year of my contract at Chelsea, uh, I really, really hate it. Because you were injured? Because I was injured, but because as well, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not naive, you know. I'm not stupid. I know how it is in our world. I know how it is in football, in modern football, you know. If you represent a value, then people are very careful with you. If you don't represent any more value, then... And what has this injury done to you in terms of your post-football career? How bad is it? It's really bad because um, hopefully this operation helped me a lot, walking every day. I can run straight. I cannot move, you know, on the side like this. I cannot 
do I cannot do jumps things like this because it's it's it hurts a lot and it's like a knife into the the knee but this operation helped me a lot because I can now I can bend my knees you know I can do whatever I want but if I do a sport for two hours then my he my knee is healing and I've got water into my my knee so I still have to be careful I bet I know one day I would have to 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 do a uh, how do you say in English, a prothese, uh, you know, when you repress your bones with uh, something in plastic, you know. Maybe one day I have to do that. How difficult did you find retirement initially? No difficult at all. The only thing uh, I regret is finishing my career on a big injury. You know, I think uh, all the football players, all the sportsmen wants to finish, you know, in a good manner, you know, winning a game, Winning a trophy, just like Didier Deschamps, Laurent Blanc did with the national team after the 2000, we, when we, we won the Euro, they they stopped their career after that with the national team. But most of the time, we don't have the chance to do that. So this is uh, my only regret. How many more trophies would Arsenal have won between 2005 and 2014 if you'd have been in midfield? I have no idea. You know, they, they've done great job afterwards. So they were invincible in 2004. They went into the Champions League final against Barcelona in 2005, if I, if I remember well. So they had a great, great team that time as well. So um, I think since then, the policy at Arsenal changed because of, you know, the new stadiums. Uh, they were very quiet in the transfer market. So I think um, the way Arsenal and Arsene managed the club has been very good, despite what newspapers on the Arsenal fans thinking. They have to be very careful about the financial situation, and that's what they did. And now they came back, the, um, the loan has, has been paid back, the money is in the bank, and since then they are winning two FA Cup in a row, so that's why I, um, I put a coin on them this year. Is Arsene Wenger ever wrong? Arsene, I'm sorry, I said, I love you very much. And don't believe the newspapers when they will try to make a scandal about what I was saying yesterday. But I know you since a long time, since 30 years, so I think I can have a judgment about you. I love you very much, but please, Arsene, please, sometime when you lose a game, don't try to find excuses about referees or about the fact that your players are not good enough. Just said the opponent are better. They play better, they deserve to win. That's it, that's it. This is the only thing I want you to say, that's it. Is it true that when Arsene Wenger needs to calm down, he walks barefoot on grass? What do you mean by that? It was a quote I read from you. You said he, he had to calm down and he would have to walk Ah, back. yeah. Yeah, but he's doing that at home. Uh, I know that sometimes he has to walk, you know, and feel the grass, but uh, you know what? I do it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's crazy, I know. Will you ever get rid of the ponytail? Never. You know why? Because of my wife. She said I'm too sexy like this. <sighs> What's your biggest strength? My family, my kids. I'm 45, almost 45, and um, 
had my first kid when I was a Chelsea player. I remember my first kid, Zoe, born the same day we played. Uh, the day before, we had to play at Hanfield against Liverpool. We draw nil-nil, and I was the best player on the pitch that day. Um, it's funny because for a long period, I could not imagine myself as a father. I thought I won't be able to handle you know, the pressure to have a kid. I don't know how to hold a kid. I don't know how to feed a kid. I don't know what to say to the kids. Maybe I'm not a good example for them. Maybe I would tell them wrong, wrong things. And I had my first kids when I was 32. So I wait a long time before that. And then I've got three daughters, and uh, I live for them. What's your biggest weakness? This is why, sorry, this is why I don't want to be a manager. Sometimes I'm thinking about it, you know, but I don't want to be a manager because for me, life is too important, and my daughter are too important. I don't want to, to, to buy, to pay a nanny to take care of my children. I want to be responsible. I want to be, I want to, uh, to show them the way. I don't see the point making kids if you, if somebody is taking care of them. How do you think they'll enjoy Asia if you move out here? I think they would love it. And since uh, they heard that uh, mommy and daddy wants to go to Asia, they keep on asking us, when are we going to leave? Because our friends are already left over there. Daddy and mommy, it's beautiful over there. People are so kind, so nice. It's different than in Europe. Uh, it's, it's not the same. So maybe one day. But I have to wait a little bit because um, there's my parents. And there's many things in France, so I cannot cut the link like this. It's, it's not that easy. What's your biggest regret? My biggest regret is uh, to have maybe to uh, My biggest regret is probably uh, making people sad sometimes. I know I'm 45, I know I've made mistakes. I know I cannot return and try to change the past, but I take this opportunity every time to apologize about people uh, I make sad, you know, when I did wrong things. I never wanted to do that, but uh, if that happened, I apologize for it. It. How close were you to your brother, Olivia? It was a shock when he died on the pitch. He was the oldest, and somewhere he was, the, he was making my parents proud. He was very intelligent. He could have been a professional footballer as well. He was a striker. My other brother, David, as well, could have been a professional footballer. Monaco offered them the choice to do, to do so, and they refused. And uh, two years later, my brother died on a pitch in front of his fiance. I remember that time. Um, I was 17 years ago, and uh, my parents, they came to see me at Monaco. We were in my friend's house. The phone rang. 
then my father talked to the phone and uh, I try to do my best, you know, to make them proud. This is why I try to do everything I could, you know, on the pitch. That's why I don't know if you remember, but every time I started a game, I, I did the same thing on the pitch all the time. I always went to the same area and to, on the pitch and grabbed some piece of grass and just reminds me all the time the same sentence, you know. It followed me every, every moment, every day. I still have his, uh, his uh, jacket since almost 30 years now. I still have this. I lost every single shirt, every single things that reminds me that I was a football player. But the only thing I kept is this. I know it sounds weird for people. I think maybe some people will laugh when they look at me like this, but when you lose somebody that you love, I think people will understand that. You may have noticed that the interview ended quite abruptly. I genuinely didn't know what reaction I was going to get when I asked about Olivier, but even though it was three decades ago, the pain is still so raw and almost tangible. It was heartbreaking, such a tough moment. And I actually edited out the vast majority of that section of the piece. It was very, very private and personal, the other stuff that was in there. Now, I'd not actually prepped Emmanuel for that question, which is something that haunted me for weeks after. I was really questioning myself over that decision. Definitely a regret for me, that's for sure. But I think what Emmanuel did as a player and how he's such a terrific human being would have made his brother very, very proud. I hope you enjoyed that. If you have any comments, then please get in touch via at Richard Lenton on Twitter. And I'll be back next week with another edition of Footballers Lives. Footballers Lives was brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group. www.psm.com dashgroup.co.uk